HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, blessed to have someone who everybody knows her images, but really, really hard to know the woman herself. Searched the internet, looked everywhere. <laughs> elusive, elusive. But no. Deborah Jones, the woman behind the lens for all Thomas Keller's cookbooks. I have Bouchon Bakery in front of me. Lovely, lovely book printed by Artisan. Thank you, Michael. Absurdly large book, too. <laughs> it's it's way big, yes. Yeah. A, I always tell people if they don't want to bake, they could have a good doorstop. Yeah. <laughs> well, I use it, as I told you, a workout, workout. <laughs> to carry these things around, get some guns. Um, your career started out in Florida, traveled up the coast with your family a little bit. Was it always focused on photography? Um. My career, yeah, probably. I, it, as much as I know anything, um, I never really consciously meant to be a photographer. I collected Life magazine as a kid, saved my allowance for it, asked my dad for the camera when I graduated from college or from high school, and he said, oh, I'll bring one home from the office. I'm sure <laughs> it's a phase. And I think it probably is still a phase, but... Um, <laughs> You know, we were talking earlier about what are we going to do when we grow up. Yeah. I, I'm still looking for it. <laughs> you know, I'm 158 years old now, and I'm still <laughs> looking for it. Um, and I, I just eventually sort of bounced around. I, I was living in D.C. just to get away from my family, um, taking a walk down K Street on my way to National Geographic because I was going to uh, just ask them if I could clean 
their offices. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be around images. I had no idea. I had no real training, went to junior college. That was about it because I had no, no kind of direction. It was a cold day in, in um, D.C. It was like 17 degrees, and I had my Georgia coat on. And um, I walked into a bank. And it was before Reagan, and it was okay, you know, to be in a bank and loiter and drink <laughs> coffee and eat donuts. And someone came up to me and said, are you looking for the employment office? And I felt guilty enough. I said yes. And two years later... <laughs> I left that bank <laughs> when they offered me a VP, and suddenly I could see the rest of my life there. And I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to pull a geographic. And I signed up for camera school at, at Brooks. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. Brooks is in Santa Barbara. In Santa Barbara. Now, I it's was a different just, school now. Yeah, I was recently out there, and just you mean like surrounding yourself around something that you love. I mean, it, the vistas, the, the the land, the air in Santa Barbara must have been a welcome change too. It was in a way, but as an East Coast girl, um, the West Coast people were so slow. <laughs> <laughs> it still hasn't changed, has it? No, they're. <laughs> I think they're. And slow. now I just lost all my listenership on the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's beautiful in in a lot of other ways. I'm still there. I'm in San Francisco now, and I absolutely love it. And it's. Um, I've kind of lived all over the country, and and the Bay Area is the only place I can live in this country anymore. <laughs> you know, I wish I could be in New York more, yeah. but. It's a great place to live. Santa Barbara, Brooks Institute. What was that formal education? What was that foundation that got you into the industry? Brooks, as opposed to Art Center in L.A. at the time, um, those are sort of the two choices. And Brooks was a much more technical school. Um, L.A. Art Center, I think, a little more rounded education, more, more art involved and of course I was really interested in that but I wanted to know everything technically so that none of that would hold me back I figured I'd go and learn the art but I didn't want any I just wanted to know the technique so I didn't have to think about it anymore did you and I was about to call him TK but I don't know if I'm allowed to because I haven't worked for him Um, (laughs) Thomas Keller yes I feel like reiterates this point often too: art versus craft that you have to have the craft before you can create the art I totally always knew that somewhere in my, somewhere deep inside or from a past life, I knew that. Yeah. And, um, and that was one of the things that resonated for me with Thomas when I first met him. Um, I don't know how, <laughs> this is a, a, I'll try to make this a fast story. Um, I had done about two dozen cookbooks before the French laundry book option came up. Squash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of Chronicle books, some HarperCollins books. Tabletop linen books. Yeah. That too, yeah. yeah. Um, all cookbooks and, and tabletop books. Still life and cookbook and food. But I had, I had pretty much decided that I should start planting trees, and I had made my contribution to landfill. And oh, I thought you were using that as a euphemism. No, like. I was very serious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just felt like there was enough already. So... Um, when I got the call on the French Laundry book, I sort of dismissed it, and I sent them uh, a few tear sheets left over from the workbook ads or something. Um, uh, and I guess Susie Heller at that point, the producer on the book, had like floor-to-ceiling portfolios from all over the country with nice suede backs and you know lovely presentations. <laughs> and I sent a little envelope of prints. Um, but they said, you know, wow, like you're different, okay. <laughs> and... Um, I went to talk to Thomas, and I said, Chef, you know, why do you want to make a cookbook? 
because honestly, I feel like we've, we don't need another recipe for salsa. You know, I, I sort of feel like I don't mean to be sarcastic, but um, I, I felt like no one was really doing anything different with cookbooks. They were all starting to look alike, and I felt like I didn't really have anything new to say. Um, and he said, I don't disagree with you. People have been after me to do cookbooks for a long time, but I finally feel like I have something to say. And he started to talk to me about how you, how you store your fish the way they swim in the ocean. Because to store them on top of each other changes the texture of the flesh on the bottom. And I thought, oh, yes, you are <laughs> so my kind of guy. Yeah. And um, we've kind of been in sync ever since. Nothing new is happening in cookbooks, you say. But which ones were those legends? Which ones were those reference points that you went back to that changed the game? Well, specifically on the French Laundry book, we all talked about several books that we liked, but we knew we didn't want to make one we had ever seen. So, um, you know, there was, um, there was um, Thomas knows his names better than I do. There was a Michelle Bross book, I think. Yeah. And um, there, there were mostly European books. Yeah. Were there American books? I mean, yeah, it's there funny. Were... Everyone references, you know, Jacques Pépin, La Technique. Right, right. Which came out, I think, in 71 as the book to have as a chef in the U.S., but there weren't many U.S. cookbooks that... Charlie Trotter was doing yep. some, some nice ones, um, and, but they were starting to feel like they fit into a little formula. Um, I, anyway, I don't There were several, and I'm sorry, I can't remember those names. I should have taken some notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's actually kind of uh, nice that you don't because it, it's a jumping-off point to try to figure out what you did differently. Well, but. we just didn't know. I mean, I, I remember a first meeting sitting in Thomas's uh, dining room. There were six or eight of us, and I had two sous, it was two sous chefs. Mark Hopper is one who's now doing um, a restaurant in Northern California, farm shop, and Grant Ackett's. And Grant and, um, and Mark were Thomas's sous chefs that we started the French Laundry book with. So the three of them and a designer and myself, we were sitting around talking, um, and Michael Ruhlman, who was writing it, and Thomas looked at me and goes, well, how do we do this? And I was like, chef, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I didn't even know to call him chef then. I, I think, or maybe that's all I called him, and now, he, now I just call him Thomas. But um, I said, I don't really know. I said, you're going to have to make some food. I'm going to have to look at it. And that was just sort of where we went. And and I was shooting film. That whole book was in film, most of it um, with the Hasselblad. And I would bring the light box and the loop in. And Thomas's favorite thing was on, you know, the next time when we came because he had, I gave him his own loop and he wore it around his neck like a trophy. <laughs> you know, we, we were all looking at images and the, the transparencies. It was alive and it was fun and it was exciting. And, and we were just shooting. And, you know, when you're in the old days, when you shot film, you didn't see anything, you know, so you just, you just kept going and just listened to yourself and sort of trusted that you were seeing something and nobody got stuck like looking at it and wanting to rearrange anything. It was a much more fluid nation, you know, motion then. You're saying you didn't see anything, but you did see something. No, I mean, you didn't, you didn't look at things. You know, now we, um, everybody take an image and everybody's looking at the screen yeah. and reacting to the image instead of, I'm just looking through the camera and feeling it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's serious. It sounds really hokey, but if you look at the tomato long enough and listen to it, it'll tell you what to do. 
Well, I think that comes from a daylight photographer too, yeah, as I, as I am. Yeah. Um, and I mean, then why daylight? Coming from a school where you had that technical foundation, why did you strip it of the studio? Why did you strip it of you know all, all the equipment and elements that you can introduce into a shoot? Control it. Well, you know, you know different ways to achieve what you're looking for when you have all of those tools, right? So the daylight itself, I find that food has much more color from the sun than any amount of special bronze color lighting I can buy. That it just, I mean, I love my bronze color lights, no question about it. I totally know how to use them. But the sun has, it, they just respond to each other differently. The red, the, for the red from that tomato is different um, with the sun. And it's free. Well, it's great, but it's beautiful, yeah. you know, and, and to me, honestly, it's so full of surprises. And I think some of my best work comes from just the surprises that happen that don't necessarily happen in your studio. So actually, let's talk about your studio and the surprises that came from that. You're in San Francisco now, mm-hmm. but where did you shoot the French Laundry cookbook? We shot most of that in Thomas's house and in his backyard Yeah, and around the French Laundry. So what were some of those surprises, some of those unexpected images that came out of it? Hmm. Now, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I haven't looked at that book in a while. Um, you know, the sun would just come around, or a chef, I, for example, a chef would be walking from one kitchen to another, and I would see something go by, and I was like, what was that? You know, and it was like, can I see that tray? <laughs> can I just bring that over here? And it would just be like, you know, a... a half-baked sheet of apricots or something just getting prepped but it was gorgeous so it was you know that would i wouldn't have known to ask for it but i was there so i saw it you know that kind of thing oh yeah no i mean it's funny getting a shot list these days for cookbooks or for any assignment it's often the things outside of that shot list which move you a little bit more yeah the shot list is like a suggestion to me you know it's like these are things you have to make sure you should be saying this in front of publishers (laughs) well well, actually, I'd like to say a lot of things to publishers. Yeah. Um, are they listening? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, tell them. Tell it like it is. You know, I actually think that um, that one of the big successes of Thomas's books is Anne Bramson at Artisan um, letting the team do what they do. And Thomas, as a chef, letting the people he brings into the fold do what they do. Uh, Susie Heller as producer encouraged us constantly, you know, railroaded us, kind of corralled us maybe, um, kept us on track, but never questioned why I was looking at that pile of mustard. You know, no one, everyone looked to each, you know, Michael Ruhlman wrote, um, Cliff and Dave from Level designed that book, and no one micromanaged anybody. So in in a way, we were all kind of free to do what we do, and I think that it kind of made us all like at the best of our game you know no one was holding us back and we were all just learning how to walk together in the same direction but not you know no one needed to walk on top of each other yeah (laughs) so that's that's like a a message to me that i i wish more people understood and that was 1999 so you you've walked a long way with thomas now yes (laughs) how many i've had a lot of meals with him yeah <laughs> We've done five of these: French Laundry, Bouchon, Under Pressure, mm-hmm. uh, Ad Hoc, Bouchon Bakery. This right. is in front of me right now. Is that five? Five. 
Yeah. Maybe there's one that's happening that I don't know of yet. No, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yes. I think we should take a little break. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's talk about the progression, too, because <clears throat> you have a very specific point of view, and it is yours, and it is defined by what you've done in the past, as well as photos being a reference point for people to cook Thomas's dishes. Has anything changed over the five books in how you approach an image, how you project an aesthetic? Mm. No, um, not not over a time period. I'd say that each book has given me a different challenge um, as far as the French Laundry book. Shooting that was a very obvious thing. It, it had its own culture. We decided to shoot the culture of the French Laundry, shoot the far-reaching ingredients at that point. So we went to Ingrid in Maine for her... Um, her her sourcing of mussels we went to hearts of palm john in hawaii for you know his hearts of palm forest um and in between and that was really important to talk about for for thomas because those were things that, that he couldn't get anywhere else that were that was huge and then the just the culture of the service and the place is so specific so that book was obvious and then the bouchon the bistro book came up and i said you know well we can't make it looked just a boring, it's just a bistro. Right? <laughs> why don't we go to France and why don't we shoot that stuff in black and white? That was also filmed. So, you know, let's, and Thomas says, okay, we'll go to Lyon. I said, perfect. You know, let's go eat trotters and, and, <laughs> and then show them the difference between, you know, where the inspiration came from. So that's how the, that, that Bouchon book came. And then um, Under Pressure came up and I was really freaking out because it's stainless steel and uh, plastic. Right, it's oh, two of the most excellent and most reflective beauti- materials. <laughs> beautiful, food-friendly <Yeah>. materials. <laughs> so, um, under pressure to people who don't know the book is the sous vide method of cooking, and um, it's more of a manual for for professional. It's more of a professional book, honestly. Um, although at that point, Thomas thought, "Oh, I know the sous vide machines are going to be the next Cuisinarts in kitchens." <laughs> um, that's still debatable. But that was really like, okay, there's no culture here. There's no restaurant I can shoot. There's no any, any kind of place. There's no sense of place for it. Um, so how do we do that? And we just said, well, let's just take everything away then. And I just put up a black surface and hung some plastic and lit it. That was not daylight because we had to really control <clears throat> the situation. And, and it turned out it was, that was my most fun book, honestly. It was just sculpture. I was just shooting sculpture. We're going to take a quick break and actually come back and discuss Ad Hoc at Home. Bring Thomas Keller into your own kitchen. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will, too. And I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com.
Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yo, it's Michael Harlan Turkel here with Deborah Jones, photographer extraordinaire of the Thomas Keller Collection, and that much more. And I, it's funny I referenced squash before. Uh, you know, a single <laughs> element, but randomly there were single subject books, and yeah. squash was one of them. But yes. single subject versus environment. Mm. You know, you just mentioned under pressure saying that there was no environment there was no place um and you had to construct that make it sculptural Mm -hmm. whereas ad hoc at home there also wasn't really a place even though it was at ad hoc it was about doing these larger family style things and taking it out of the restaurant setting how did you construct that well the restaurant ad hoc itself um which you know the story is it was supposed to be a temporary restaurant but it became a little too popular and and they made it a permanent restaurant, <laughs> at least for now. It's still ongoing. Um, the experiment continues. So we shot some stuff at Ad Hoc. I went back to Daylight for that book. Um, we shot some work there at the restaurant, which is a very casual restaurant, and that's how the food is served, family style. So that kind of just determined the rest of it. But it didn't you know, didn't want to be a restaurant book, per se. Um, we shot a lot of it in my studio, which at that point was a bigger studio and had like eight windows, four by eight foot windows that face west and five that face south. So we had everything on wheels and we just rolled around and so, followed south, the light. Can, can we just talk about how great okay. southwest light is? Love I mean, it. <laughs> because when painters people, can have northern, I'll take every no. southwest corner. And in people this city. think I'm crazy because <laughs> no. like I literally no. know the city well enough that what's odd, what's even, what mm-hmm. side of the street. I'm like, is that southwest light? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, no, no, it isn't. <laughs> I know, I know, and I want my southwest light. I want two windows, and I'm not, I'm not being that crazy artist. No, like, you're not. I gave a compass to a realtor once because they kept giving me places that had the wrong light. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> and skylights. Fuck skylights. Sorry. <laughs> I told you you're allowed. Fuck skylight. Every time I see a skylight, I'm going to put my fist in the air and say, fuck you, skylight. <laughs> I mean, they're nice to live with, but don't give me one to shoot. I have, well, we should stay on topic. I, I, <laughs> we should talk. We should have dinner. Okay, yeah. We're, we're cursed more outside of the studio. Um, but creating uh, an at-home environment at a restaurant. Well, the, that was easy. It was easy because ad hoc, the restaurant itself is very casual. So we just took, you know, part of my work, I mean, I can't, I have no objectivity about what my what I see or what my style is or any of that but I do realize at this point that I just take things away from my from the set like uh, we may start with you know the stylist wants to put all this shit in and you know chefs want to bring everything and and I just start pulling them away so that basically what's there is just the main actor you know and a few supporting actors I mean, when I when I teach a little bit, I, I talk about that. Like, you know, figure out what it is you want to say. What who's your who's the star on the shot? You know, what's important? Like, I'm looking at this table. My you know my glass of water is going to be the star. Then I'm going to compose that way, and make and don't don't fight it. Don't put a bunch of shit coming in yeah. here to like confuse me. Well, I mean, I, you know, so I just take things away, and then it becomes kind of simple. I mean, I do want to talk about props too because. You know, that is an important part of the shoot, having those elements to be able to incorporate. Having the in right or, ones. Yeah. Right. So what do you want? What do you look for? If it's so sparse, there must be something specific to each shot. 
Well, yeah, but I don't know that ahead of time. I'm a very intuitive shooter. I can I cannot sit at a meeting and tell you what we need. I mean, my experience can tell you a lot of things we, that won't work, but I kind of just know that. You know, I know a thousand ways it won't work, which in a lot of ways gets me closer to it. Yeah. But, um, you know, you want something that, I mean, if, look, props, focus, lighting, they're all compositional tools. You know, no, no one of them makes or breaks a shot. You know, you, you know, your point of view with the lens determines, you know, how you're going to see the element. You know, if I'm going to like have a more editorial moment where I'm walking by this table and I see a casual glass of water and a dirty napkin, that's one thing. If I'm down low looking up at this glass, I'm really heroing it. You know, I'm looking through it. I'm going to concentrate more on what's inside it. So um, as far as choosing the right prop, you just, again, find like that great backup band. <laughs> you know, those yeah. backup dancers, you know, they don't they don't upstage the star, but they contribute to the story. I guess that's part of it. I mean, let's look at the the cover of Bouchon Bakery. That alone, I mean, the cookie is gorgeous, and I've had it many times. That's the, the, the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what is the it better called? But, better nutter. <laughs> butter nutter. The butter nutter. Um, better. Better. <laughs> Glass of milk, half drank. That, that beautiful candy-striped straw. A simple white linen. And a dark wooden-toned tabletop and background. I mean, it's so sparse, so elemental, and so emblematic. Nice words, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I but, had no idea. But how did you put this together? I mean, how did you know that this was the way this shot was going to end up? Okay, first of all, we had no idea it was a cover. It was just the nutter, the better nutter cookie that we were shooting. And I was like, okay, first of all, okay, this is 300, this book is 300 images for people who haven't seen it, 300 images of brown round things. Right. You've got <laughs> dough. You've got your muffins. You've got your bouchons. You've got your tarts. You've got your cookies. And it just every chapter is another brown and round thing. Shade of brown. So to come up with something new that often um, and not make it look, you know, to be able to actually accent the the brown butter and flour over and over again, I, I, I really decided that it needed to be a darker book because that dark stuff could pop off of it and in some you know in most cases michael's flipping through the pages now um in most cases you see that the brown the food is popping off of of a surface so we just you know if i it's one of those if you can't beat them join them so just make it it's all brown let's make it brown (laughs) it's funny because you know from a chef's perspective it's a color texture composition um and often it's it's contrasting not complementary exactly exactly or you know how do you see chocolate? You know, you can see it against white, but if you have a whole lot of white, you're never going to find the chocolate in there. Um, but you have a darker subject, then it's usually the highlights that our eyes go to first when we look on a page. Or the, the most distinction, I think. So, you know, for me, it's like, okay, just let that background recede, so let's make it darker. Let's also talk about the surfaces, because there is a lot of dark wood, but what's great about the Thomas Keller cookbooks are that they're there's instruction, you know, mm-hmm. true instruction, too. It doesn't seem like some fantastical place, some kitchen that is completely inaccessible to the home cook. Um, I'm glad and, you see that. And I'm looking at like a... That's a Silpat. Yeah, right? the, the Perry Breath, the right. Paris to New York. Right. That it is, yeah, on the Silpat. It's such a Silpat. I use parchment paper, wax paper. I use 
the back of sheet pans, they're beautiful surfaces. Oh, yeah. I carry on sheet pans. <laughs> they're, they're my reflectors. They're my <laughs> they're, they're shuttle They're reflectors. Trays, they're yeah. back pans. They're everything. Pot lids. You know, they, they all work. Yeah. But it's just about being authentic to me. You know, I, I just want to use something that's really there. Like, for me, I just want to tell the truth. So I, I'm not going to do a lot of artificial things to the food or to the set or create a lot of story-making fireworks when you really just want to taste you know, the, the image. I mean, to me, I don't know. It kind of goes back to a more philosophical question. What's the point of a cookbook? You know, um, yeah, they're instructive and informative and entertaining. But to me, I always want to just make you want to eat it. You know, I want it to be delicious. I want it to be evocative of some kind of um, more visceral experience with food. Because, I mean, I, I got stuck shooting food because I, I think it's a really stuck. universal truth, you know. <laughs> You say stuck, though. Well, I mean, I, I can't get out of it. I, <laughs> I, it's a happy problem, no question. Um, but I, I do. I think that, that food is a universal truth. And, and it's, you know, it's in so many cultures, it's, it's a way we share with people. It's a way we worship it. We, you know, we all need it, obviously. It's, um, you know, it goes to the altar. It's, it's a gift, you know. And um, I, I just want to, like, honor it. So I don't want to do a lot of stuff to it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Jack, Jack, I'm sure, is tagging and quoting that whole thing, and that's going up on our page. That may be our new mantra. Oh, phew. <laughs> but you say these things. You told me that you shared a lot of meals with Thomas. Mm-hmm. What informs you on how to you know, sh- show this food? Is it, is it having eaten it first? Is having gone through the process of actually photographing and interacting with it, how do you represent it? How do you show that truth and be true to it? I mean, it's a scary proposition because this is what people are using as their reference point to cook these recipes. And you have to do that justice for yourself, for the chef. just feels like a lot of responsibility. Well, I think... um I, I think that's my just my training as a commercial photographer, honestly. You know, my job is to... Um, translate what it is the client what their speaking point is of the product you know if I'm shooting wine for someone and it's a crisp white refreshing wine I'm going to shoot it in a different way than I'm going to shoot the velvety uh, chocolatey syrupy Syrah right so um, it's it's more about looking at the product and knowing what its strength is and knowing what it's trying to say and I think just bringing just bringing that out not getting in its way but just making it have room to come forward obviously with those descriptors i know that you know wine and you know food but do you have to know food to shoot food i think it helps i think you see a lot of women ironically shooting really beautiful food in the last 10 15 years and i I just think because we've kind of grown up being i don't know if it's a sensitivity i don't know if it's just more familiarity i'm not sure but i think knowing food helps i think you know i think people who shoot fashion who know fashion shoot it better so i think it's just about being educated about your your job and how well do you know food do you cook do you interact i cook i I, um i sort of have learned through osmosis (laughs) i I, ironically i can't stand following recipes (laughs) i'm not a baker yeah um, I'll read a cookbook and and um, and just say, oh yeah, what about that? You know, or I I like going to the farmers market and just buying food and 
going home and making it. I, I love the barbecue. You know, I throw anything on the grill. Yeah. Fava beans, you name it, whatever. Grilled fava beans are tender. Amazing. The young fava yeah. beans, a little olive oil, throw them on the grill and eat them while you're cooking the rest of the dinner. It's yeah. perfect. I was just introduced <laughs> to that by Chris Cosentino last year and yeah. blew my mind. You don't have to blanch them and peel them and all that junk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so other techniques, because that, that, that's such a small part of what these books are. You know, sometimes you see oysters and pearls. Mm-hmm. You know, Thomas is one of his signature dishes, and mm-hmm. you think you have to cook that whole thing. But there are certain aspects of each dish, too, that are, that are exemplary. What, what are a couple of those techniques that you've used and maybe incorporated into your cooking life? Hmm. Let's see. Um, salting has been something I've really learned from him. And working clean is another one. That I, that I love, love, love. That is so important, both the food and photography. It is. It is. It, it, um, it, it was also something – I was always kind of going in that direction in my own little photo world, never in my kitchen. And um, when, I, when I learned that from Thomas, it just – all of a sudden the light bulb went on in my brain. It made perfect sense. You know, I could see so much better everything if I kept it clean. <laughs> so now I'm like running through the studio – Housekeeping, 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 you know, meaning clean that table, please. (laughs) I can't find anything. You did say something about crumbs, about not wanting Mm -hmm. things sterile. That, you know, an image can be tack sharp, but it doesn't have to be pristine. Right. Um, A lot of times the crumbs will happen and everybody goes to sweep them up and I just say leave them. And more likely than putting a crumb in a place, like I see those images and I was like, oh. What are you like trying to draw a constellation here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, more often I will just leave the mess and take one or two pieces away and just leave the rest. So, you know, when it's there, it's because it was really there and it was because the piece really fell that way. It's not because, you know, I mean, sometimes we're adding salt. It's like people want to put salt on with tweezers. I'm like, please just, and I just like take a few hands and throw a pinch full and throw it down. Yeah. And then you take away the ones that are in the way. But just it's a more organic process. Subtractive rather than additive photography. It's, I know. I think um, I'm going to be a sculptor in my next life. Yeah. I just want to like chisel. You mean in this life? You haven't figured out what you're doing yet. I want to take. I, I have yeah. uh, I want to. Um, I just like taking things away. I, you know, it's like, did you ever work in a dark room? Black and white dark room? Oh, I was like that last generation that still had analog. Right. So, you know, in the dark room, you are, you're burning and dodging constantly. And that's what I do on the set with light. I get on my, I can really get on the soapbox about not, you know, using Photoshop to finish your photos. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, I say, look at the set, look at your, look at what you're doing and put your contrast in your set. Don't do it in Photoshop, you know, make it in your photograph. So what are the best ways to introduce that other than just having great southwesterly light? Oh, well, you know, the opposite of a white card, you know, you've got too much light, you start putting up black cards. It's like you just subtract the light. You know, I, I've had, like, um, you go into a fluorescent kitchen where you have no di- direction at all, and you take a few black cards and make a little tent, and you have one little side of fluorescent light coming through, and suddenly you color correct for it, and it's beautiful. Don't have to, like, go in with 10 C-stands and five assistants and change everything. Yeah. No, people think I'm crazy when they walk in with, you know, like four pieces of foam core. Yeah. You know, one side black, one side white. But it is, again, stripping it down to those elements. I mean, those control And get the everything. gold and silver, too. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, those are like my, I should have brought you one. Those are like my favorite. Well, I think favorite I got thing. those on my reflector, but they look a little too disco for me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but if it's, um, if it's a, a really soft light and you use one, it just gives you a little more contrast. You know, it's like a mirror, but a little flatter. Yeah. I, I first started, um, I found that from the bottom of a bakery tart, you know, liner. It's like somebody threw it in the garbage can and said, wait, look at that. You know, that's a great light source. So now you just like, everything is a light source. I had an assistant who came in the studio one day and said, oh, I really want to work with you. I heard you light with garbage can lids. <laughs> so, well, if, you know, if it's closer than the C-stand that somebody has to go get to do this, blah, blah, blah. Paper towel rolls, favorite tool. Oh, yeah? Oh, they just stand up by themselves, beautiful little fill card. <laughs> yeah, you just told me that you work clean, but now I can see cl- garbage can lids, paper towel. It looks like you're... Have everything strewn about. But no, they're not strewn about, though. They're just, you know, selectively used whenever. They're not all at the same time. Not at all. You know, it's just it's just that they're close by. You know, tape on the set drives me crazy. But fold a piece of paper and it stands up by itself and done. You know, you don't have to wait for people to go find the tape and put <laughs> it down. You know, meanwhile, your cilantro's dying. You, you go wait for all, you know, to get all the photo tools when they're all just standing right here in front of you. It's a lot of common sense, but we, we get in our way about finding the common sense. And know? all this applies to food, too. Absolutely. You know, I think, I think chefs have so many tools now, so they could just be totally confused with which tool to use. But, you know, using their brain and their hands are probably the best tools they have. Their eyes, their taste buds, whatever, but. And their hearts. I mean, chefs, I, I'll tell you, another reason I'm staying in the food world is that chefs are some of the most generous people I've ever met. I mean, is that your experience? Oh, I, I wouldn't be here otherwise. You know, it's, um, well, Thomas is, is probably the most generous man I know. But um, in general, chefs, they just, they're like those hunting dogs. They just keep bringing you things. You know, they can't stop. They can't, right? You know, in the, in the um, it, and it's it's wonderful. It's fun. It's contagious, and it makes me want to give more. And then you know we all go home with bigger hearts. And isn't that kind of the point of living? I'll let everybody right? else answer that for themselves. Sorry. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting too esoteric. No, no, not at all. I completely agree. And again, we're writing that up a new mantra for Radio <laughs> Network. But Deborah, thank you. I mean, this is this is a career that I only hope to be able to you know have for myself. That that. You've created not just, you know, this this amazing library of work, but this mindset of approaching that work. That, oh, good. You know, should be accolades abound. Well, let's keep the dialogue going. Please. And I think what you guys are doing is great. Thank and, you. And I really, I'm so glad I found this and I'm going to subscribe and going to tell California about it. Heck yeah. All right. It's a Manifest cool little destiny day. moving out west. <laughs> Thank you again, Deborah. Thank you. Thank you for bringing my new workout book, Sean Bakery. (laughs) You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. 
To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. It's the Grow NYC Market Update.